We are the product of an ignorant people who have been taught an ignorant thing, which is that there are four or five different races. There are not four or five different races. There is only one race on the face of the earth. And we are all members of that race, the human race. But we have separated people into races so that some of us can see ourselves as superior to others. We thought it would work. Look around our world. It hasn't worked. This past summer, in the midst of the scourge of race violence in the United States and xenophobia that is sweeping the globe, anti-racism activist and educator Jane Elliott blew up the internet when her one-minute clip on a cable news show articulated those words and answering the question, why is there racism? What a question. Why is there racism? And what an answer she gave. A lot of things are called racism, including our own experience of anti-Semitism. But fundamentally, racism is, in its many guises, is about exclusion. It's about saying we are different, and I'm better than you. I have no idea what it's like to be a black man in the United States, or to be a First Nations teen raised on a reservation in the shadow of Canadian residential schools. I have no idea what it's like to be a Palestinian living in the territories, or a Mexican immigrant or a Syrian refugee struggling to climb over a fence that some have already built in their hearts, if not along their borders. I can't even begin to imagine what my life would be like if I had been born in Eritrea, or Sudan, or India, or Somalia, or Afghanistan, and not born white and male and in North America. I don't know what it feels like to be a transgendered teen struggling with my identity in a school locker room. And I don't have any clue what it is like to do the same job as a man, but be paid 30% less for it because I am a woman. Or be told I am now too old for a job that I have been doing all of my adult life, replaced by a computer or outsourced to a call center. What does it feel like to be one of those people, judged and excluded by others out of ignorance, held captive by bigotry and racism. What must that feel like? I have no idea, but I should. Our Judaism, the very cornerstone of our tradition, says and teaches that we are to see the world with empathetic eyes. We are to imagine ourselves in another person's shoes. My father was a wandering Aramean, and we were once strangers in the land. We read in the Haggadah every single year at Pesach. We read it because those were our shoes. But we forget. We forget the lash of slavery because we never experienced it. The pain and isolation of otherness. But we were once those people. My goodness, who in the whole world should better understand being victims of ignorance and being held captive by racism than us. 
We are commanded, Pidyon Shavuim, redeem the captives. Not only those held in physical bondage, we must redeem those held captive by racial prejudice as well. Those our Torah describes broadly as the widow, the orphan, and the stranger, but that we know today as those judged by their nation, their station, their color, their gender, their creed. Why are we commanded to care about them? To care about others when we have our own problems? Because Judaism is built upon the value of holding complexity. It implores us to be conscious of both privilege and suffering. That's the work of empathy. Imagining myself into someone else's narrative and imagining their narrative as my own. Judaism reminds us daily that all lives matter. But the lives of those in peril, trapped by circumstance, sentenced by intolerance, surrounded by bigotry, tortured by racism, those lives matter more right now. They need our special attention because they have no power, they have no voice, and we have power, and we have a voice. And we are commanded, Pidyon Shavuim, to redeem the captives. At Yad Vashem, the Israeli Holocaust Museum, there's an avenue that's lined with trees. If you've ever visited this awesome place, you know how humbling it is. In a world of total moral collapse, there was a small minority who mustered extraordinary courage to uphold human values, to redeem the captives in an unredeemed and spiraling out of control world. These were the righteous among the nations. And they're memorialized at Yad Vashem. These rescuers regarded Jews as fellow human beings who came within the bounds of their universe of obligation. They didn't say, not my people, not my problem. But rather they said, we are all people. Racism, intolerance, bigotry, that is all of our problem. And I must not remain indifferent. Maimonides says that the greatest mitzvah in the entire Torah all 613, the greatest mitzvah in the entire Torah is this one, performed by those righteous among the nations, Pidyon Shavuim, to redeem the captive. Why is this the greatest mitzvah? Because it saves two lives, theirs and ours. How can we live freely in a world when some are not free? How can we sleep soundly at night when others cannot wake from the nightmare of being entrapped by the color of their skin, their beliefs, their gender, their orientation? The Talmud puts the point on it precisely. And you know this verse. Whoever destroys a soul, it is, is considered as though he has destroyed the entire world. And whoever saves a soul, it is considered as though they have saved the entire world. And so back to Yad Vashem. To honor those who performed the greatest mitzvah in our entire Torah and who themselves were not Jewish. 
they began planting a tree, one for each. One for each rescuer that saved the life of another person, another human being. They planted 2,000 trees. And then they ran out of room. The list is now 27,000. When they build a museum to honor those who stood up to the xenophobia and racial injustice of the early 21st century that we are living in now, will they plant a tree for you? Will they plant a tree for me? Will we live lives worthy of trees? Our fellow human beings are being imprisoned by the color of their skin, their gender, their faith, their orientation, their ethnicity, by the ignorant view that I was born better than you. To fight racism and bigotry in every incarnation is to save the entire world from destruction at the hands of our own ignorance, our own foolishness. Some have called anti-Semitism the oldest hatred in the world. And while we could debate its age, we have no doubt of its paternity. It is just one of the multitude of bastard children born of racism and bigotry. Its lineage can be traced all the way back to Noah and Sinatinam, the senseless hatred that flooded the earth long before God washed away the sin with the sinners. And like a weed, the sin of racism and sensuous hatred, it keeps coming back. It's always there, just below the surface. It's just below the surface in others. And if we are honest with ourselves and on Colney Dre of all nights, we should be honest with ourselves as we stand before God in judgment. It is just below the surface in us as well. Indeed, sometimes in the heat of an argument, the impatience of waiting in line behind a driver of a certain age or race or ethnicity, it comes bubbling out. If we are honest with ourselves, we know that it is there. To quote Princeton and Kate Monster in the Broadway musical Avenue Q, Everyone's a little bit racist sometimes. Doesn't mean we go around committing hate crimes. Look around and you will find no one's really colorblind. Maybe it's a fact we should all should face. Everyone makes judgments based on race. Yes, admirably here in Canada, our prime minister is working to bring people together. Our cabinet is multicultured and multigendered. If accepted, he accepted the findings of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. He walked in every pride parade from coast to coast and welcomed refugees at Patterson Airport with open arms and warm coats. Nationally, the unity around the Tragically Hip concert brought our nation together to sing and to cry, as opposed to the division and hatred we read about south of the border, reminding us perhaps with a bit of nostalgia, which was evident in when Prime Minister Trudeau said Canada's back. That Canada is not about the pursuit of individual happiness. It's about how we work together to make our country better, even sacrificing a bit of ourselves for the betterment of all. But there is also no denying that there's a portion of the population, even here in Canada, that feels threatened by unrelenting change, 
immigration, globalization, terrorism, multiculturalism, foreign real estate buyers. They want someone to build a wall around their cultural heritage. That's what's going on, if not around their west side neighborhood in general. Many conflate slowing or stopping the pace of change with preserving their heritage, with preserving their privilege. A year ago, I stood on this bima on this night, and I challenged us to do something great, to sponsor a Syrian refugee family, and you opened up your hearts and you opened up your wallets. And we're sponsoring two families. And we've learned just this week that they are in the final stages of screening, and we expect a final decision about, the, about when they will arrive before the end of the year. I am so proud of our efforts. I am so proud of our leadership, not only in this congregation, but in this community and across Canada. Around the world, they were talking about this congregation. They were talking about you. But not everyone is so proud. After that sermon, I got hate mail. Some threatened to leave the congregation. A man at the JCC gym spit on me and called me an Arab lover. Even here, there is a backlash, anti-immigrant sentiment, a closing of hearts, if not borders. Canada is not immune. This summer, Sharon and I traveled to, and, and, and I led a temple mission to Central and Eastern Europe. We saw the anti-liberalism that is once again driving nationalism and extremism in Europe. In every country, they pointed out their version of Donald Trump, and not with pride, but wary knowledge that we have been here before. Donald Trump alone is frightening enough. But oh, how much more the horror lies with the realization that 40% of adult Americans seem to agree with his racist leanings. 100 million Americans think he's pretty much right. In many ways, the man is a mirror. He is a reflection of, indeed, a revealing of, the ugliness that people harbor. Trump is an unfiltered primal scream of the fragility and the fear consuming white American males and their equivalents around the globe. The Talmud addresses this exclusion of others in this way. Our rabbis ask, why did God begin with only one human being, with Adam? And then they answer, so that not one of his descendants should be able to say, my father is better than your father. So that not one person can say, my race is better than your race, because we are all a part of the human race. And so how do we end racism in others? And how do we unlearn this ignorant thing in ourselves? It begins with seeing our similarities first instead of our differences. Because so much depends on our similarities. Unless we all worked the same way, all designs would fail. Medicine would be ineffective, and human society would become impossible. 
Yet we also affirm that each individual is unique, that no two people look alike, think alike, act alike. Both human sameness and difference are profoundly true. The rabbis compare faces to minted coins. A king of flesh and blood, they say, that's how the rabbis refer to kings. A king of flesh and blood stamps coins, and they all look alike. God stamps us, and each of us is different. We are all still faces, but none of us are the same. None is a copy. When we see a throng of people, like we do tonight, and I have to tell you, the view from the bima on Kol Nidre is the most beautiful view in the world. From a distance, everyone looks alike. They're all Jews in the pews. <laughs> but then we remember, each of us is different. That's why our listening campaign and conversations are so important for our community. As the Talmud puts it, when you see a crowd of Israelites, bless God who knows each person individually and uniquely and distinctly. This is the binocular view or vision of being a Jew, particularly of being a Reformed Jew. It is the gift of our sameness that enables us to have empathy and create community. And it is the gift of our uniqueness that permits every human being to learn from every other human being. What a blessing it is to be a human being. And what a challenge it is to act like one. And so let's rise to that challenge and rise above our inclinations, however slight they may be. And we can start by changing four words. There are a growing number of congregations around the world, and particularly amongst progressive congregations in Israel, in which the last line of the Kaddish prayer, the mourner's Kaddish, has been amended. You know the line, O say shalom bim ramav, Traditionally, we ask God, who makes peace in high places, to make peace for us, Aleinu Kol Yisrael, to make peace upon us and upon all Israel, upon all the Jewish people. Tonight, I'm going to ask our congregation, I am asking our congregation, to adopt the practice that was modeled by the children of Shimon Perez, Zichron Nivracha, at his funeral just a few days ago when they added four additional words to the mourner's Kaddish. Va'al kol yoshvei tevel, and upon all of the inhabitants of the earth. Why am I asking us to do this? I'm asking us to do this so that there is consciousness and awareness in our prayers. Consciousness of the pain of people whose society considers, including Jews, as others. Consciousness of privilege and injustice. Consciousness of how we are implicated in that systematic privilege and injustice. And consciousness to bring tikkun olam, genuine healing, to a world that is both terrible and beautiful. And I believe that it starts with adding four words. 
to our most personal prayer. Rabbi David Teutsch explains, adding the rabbinic phrase, for all those who dwell on earth, logically completes the concentric circles of our aspirations. Our care starts with our minion, starts with our family, our community. And then it extends to the entire Jewish people, but it cannot stop there. It radiates outward from there to all of the people that we share the planet with. And so I ask that we do this to remind us both of our uniqueness as Jews and our sameness as human beings. To remind us that we all come from the same parent. That every life and tragically every death has profound meaning to all of us. Not just the life and death of those like us. Because every human being is like us. We all come from the same parent. We are all part of the human race. We are commanded, Pidyon Shavuim, redeem the captive. Racism and bigotry are a prison of thought. Let us open up our minds, expand our thinking. We are the product of ignorant people who have been taught an ignorant thing. It is hard to unlearn a falsehood, but we must try. And we can start by being more inclusive, not exclusive, in our prayers. Our actions must follow our prayers. And others, I pray, will follow our actions and will follow us. O say shalom bimromav, hu ya'ase shalom, aleinu v'yal kol Yisrael, May the one who makes peace in the high heavens make peace for us, for all of Israel, for all of the people of the earth, and let us say, Amen. We'll teach you the melody that includes those four words, too. <laughs> it's really quite lovely. <laughs>